where we're going to be um, today for a long time. Uh, if you're a regular with us, you know at the end we respond at the end, respond to the gospel. And one of the ways is by taking our tithes and offerings to the offering boxes here behind me on the side of the stage or kind of near the doors. And I'd also like to say what's up to our student section. What's up, student section? Glad that you guys are here. And uh, I want to make sure that you guys can sign up for the fall retreat that's coming up. And the way you do that is you'll go to the Connect Center at the end of the service. And we have laptops there. And you can just sign up right there online. And uh, my family and I will be there at the student fall retreat this year. So that's fun. Here we go. Um, if you would, hopefully you've hit Acts 2 by now. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Uh, we are in the fourth and final week of this series called Part of the Start. And the reason we've shown these little video vignettes uh, is because each one of them that you've seen now on this side of history, we know that those things, those people, those endeavors turned into some pretty major events, and each one of them had these very, very humble beginnings. And the church is no different. The church had very, very humble beginnings. In fact, the church, when it first started, was just an idea. And, and, and the word church is from this Greek word, ekklesia, and it just meant a gathering of people on purpose, or a movement of people. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus and 12 uh, ordinary, uneducated men gathered outside of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And he gave an answer, and then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, upon the public profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then about three years later, that group of 12 had, had grown to 120. And you've got to imagine, at that point, like in Acts chapter 1, there's 120 people there, and they're probably thinking, wow, this is great. We've gone from 12 to 120 in only three years. This is really taken off. And he gathers all the people together, and he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And let's just be honest. You know that the disciples had to be looking at each other and go, the ends of the earth? I mean, Thomas has never even left the county, right? It'd be like somebody grew up in Palacca. You know, he didn't know anything else existed except Palacca. And that was how the disciples were. They were just kind of in that little area. And let's be fair to the disciples. They didn't even know there was a globe. They thought if you took one step past the end of the earth, you'd fall off the end of the earth. They literally thought it was like that. And then God took these 12 average, ordinary, uneducated men and women with 120 all together. And it went from that little humble beginning to what we know now as the church. As not a local church, but the church. And so right now, this weekend, about 2 billion people will claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so what we've been talking about is the heart of the start. It wasn't necessarily formulaic. It was sort of organic. It just grew up the way God had intended it. And the same thing can be said for our local church. And so what we have been doing is studying the book of Acts, and we'll study it for the next, I don't know, two years. And, and remember week one, we talked about the mission of the church, and that's not to do witnessing, but to be a witness. And then in week two, uh, they had to put together a team. If you've ever started anything, it always starts with a team. And so they had to discern the will of God to replace the 12th disciple or apostle. And so they prayed, and they guessed, and then they went for it. And then last week, we talked about opening day. The very first day of the church, it went really, really well as far as opening days go because it grew from 120 people, and the Apostle Peter stands up and he preaches the, the most non-secret-sensitive sermon ever. Remember, he said, this Jesus whom you crucified died for your sin, and in that day, 3,000 people got saved. So their church went from 120 to 3,000 Overnight, you think you're out of kids' space and they had parking issues, and they're like, Man, we need some more, you know, places to top the camels. What are we going to do? Okay, so that's what's going on. And then you've got to imagine so, so now what? Now that 
supposed to do and who we're supposed to do this with and, and what our purpose is. And we had a great opening day, had 3,000 people here. Now what? And that's where we pick up um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. What, what I want to spend our time on this morning is this. You're going to see that the apostles and the disciples, the church, they were devoted to four things. They were devoted to four things. And then as a result of their devotion to those four things, they saw these amazing results. And what they were not devoted to was results. In fact, uh, the early church did not have a growth strategy plan. They didn't get together and brainstorm ideas on, here's how we're going to take the gospel to Rome, and then here's how we're going to take the gospel to Spain, and here's how we're going to take the gospel over to uh, the, the new world. They didn't even know there was a new world. In fact, they were just devoted to God and what he had in store for them, and then God um, God just kind of took over from there. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The four things they were devoted to, and then and then what that resulted in. And then it's our prayer. It's our prayer that we, the Church of 1122, would just be a continuation of what Jesus proclaimed in Caesarea Philippi upon this rock, I will build my church, that we would be a part of that great commission that he commissioned his church to go and make disciples of all nations, and that we would be in line with what the very first church was all about. So here we are in verse 42. And they, that's like the 3,000 people that are now followers of Jesus. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. And that's what the church is supposed to be devoted to. The first century church and the 21st century church. Devoted to these four things. So, the believers, first and foremost, they were devoted to God's word. That was where the apostles' teachings were. In other words, they were devoted to the Bible. You need to know this. In Church 1122, we are devoted to the word of God. That that this is our authority, and this is our foundation. Which means there will be lots and lots of weeks that I say things that are maybe unpopular and maybe rub you the wrong way, but I've said this before, I'm sort of like the mailman. I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. Okay, that's what my job is. And we as a church are devoted to the Word of God. Um, the Bible talks a lot about itself, describes itself this way. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. It's why each and every week when, when you show up to do, when we do Bible study together, when we do worship together, we just open up the Word of God because it is the whole thing from cover to cover is inspired or breathed out by God. And it is profitable or useful for every area of your life. So here at 1122, you're not going to get a lot of moralistic, Therapeutic deism. In other words, you're not going to get uh, here's five ways to be a better friend, or here's three steps to get a, a better version of you, or you know, here's the, your best life now. No, you're not going to get that. You, we're, we're just going to open up the Word of God. Look, look what the Bible says in uh, Hebrews 4:12. It says this: The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. So that's why each and every week, there's a lot of Bible and a little bit of me talking, okay? The reason is because only the Word of God can pierce you where you need to be pierced. And so, um, let me just assure you of this, especially guys, listen to me. Your wife did not email me to get me to preach a sermon about you, okay? People come up to the end of the sermon sometimes and be like, did my wife email you? Seriously. Because what you were talking about, we were just dealing with, and I think she's ratting me out. I'm like, look, bro, I don't know you, okay? I don't know you, and, and what that is, what, I don't know your junk, I don't know your issues, I don't know your problems. It's that I know you're a person, and your problem is sin, and the answer is here. And so the Word of God just defines us that way. It's why sometimes um, people people's lives are transformed, and they come up to me at the end of the service and say, as you were preaching on this subject, God, God just changed my life. And I think, I say amen and thank you and give him a hug. And I think that's not even what I was talking about today, okay? wasn't even what I was talking about. But the Word of God, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, that the Word of God, um, it's like the rain. It will do what it is supposed to do. It will not go out in vain. And so, just like the first century church was devoted to studying the Word of God, we are devoted to studying the Word of God. A couple of things I want to, a couple more things I want to say about that. One, in January, we are going to launch disciple groups, right? Disciple groups. There's going to be Bible studies all over the city, and, and it'll be 
show up, but you need to know what you're showing up to. You're going to show up to a group led by a master teacher. Um, we're going to study through the book of Acts for the next couple of years, and, and we're just going to open the Word of God and let it do in us and to us what God's Word does. And some of you have been in groups before, and you thought, well, my group was kind of lame. We started out devoted to the Word of God, but about a year into it, we were more like we were devoted into chips and salsa, a little video, some cold beer and Monday night football, with a prayer at the end. And I just didn't experience a lot of life change there, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. I am for all of those things. All of them. Listen back. It's all of those things I am for, okay? But it's just not Bible study and discipleship. So what we're going to do in our disciple groups is we're going to be devoted to the Word of God. Now, if you're not a Christian or, or if you just don't believe in the authority of the Word of God like I do, let me just nudge on you just a little bit here. Um, it seems to make sense to me that just in an effort... To be a well-educated American, you should spend some significant time studying the most influential uh, literary piece that's ever been written or collected. I mean, it really is. Whether you believe the Bible or not, whether you believe the, the stories and the miracles and the message of the Scripture, um, like I do, then, then you should at least, it would do you well to at least read it and talk about it in a safe place where you can ask some of those questions. Like, if this is true, then explain that part of it to me. And disciple groups would be a safe place for you to, to ask those kinds of questions. And it would just, it would just be a good idea if you studied, studied this book because of the influence that it had and continues to have really over our entire world. And so this uh, group of people, they were devoted to the Word of God, and we will be devoted to the Word of God. The second thing they were devoted to, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So they were devoted to God's people. Now, if you grew up in church, you've heard the word fellowship a lot, right? Everybody knows fellowship. In fact, you may have grown up in a church with a fellowship hall, and you have fellowship dinners. Remember those? And so, um, let me tell you what that does not mean. Fellowship doesn't mean potluck dinner at church, right? In fact, if you grew up in church, at some point in your life, you got a neon-colored flyer that said, come this Wednesday night for food, fun, and fellowship. And that word meant you showed up to the fellowship hall, which also doubled on the weekend at the youth basketball league space. So it spelled kind of like grandma's casserole and junior high sweat, because that's appetizing. And you sat at these fold-out tables, and first you went through the line with a little plate with the dividers on there, you know, so, so the stuff doesn't mix. And then with plastic silverware, you tried to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, discern what am I going to eat that was prepared by a group of people that I've never met before. And I've got to figure out which of these casseroles was made by the lady that has the seven cats. Because if God doesn't tell me now, I'm going to find it later. And then you get your plate and sit around at a table with people that you barely knew, talking about things that really didn't matter, always keeping it on the surface, and then going home going, well, I guess that's what fellowship was. That's not what the, the Bible means by fellowship. The word is koinonia. Koinonia means to share, to participate. It literally means life together. That the early church was devoted to doing life together. And there's, there's two sides to that. One, it means there was an unbelievable amount of vulnerability. See, if you look at verse 45, down there real quick, it says, And they were selling their possessions, the belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In other words, in the first church, they were so vulnerable that they were willing to be honest about where their shortcomings were and where they needed help. Do you know that you cannot be the disciple of Jesus Christ without being known? That just showing up once a week to a large service even if you raise your hand and sing the psalms and that kind of thing, that that's just not enough. That in order to be a disciple, that there, you have to be known. You have to be vulnerable enough that you would share who you are. Maybe not with all 3,000, but there would be somebody there that knows your needs. They were that vulnerable with each other. Uh, when I, when Gretchen and I first moved to Jacksonville about nine years ago, we started a small group Bible study before it was like a program at the church. We just grabbed a few couples um, out of church, and we started this small group Bible study. And two of the, or one of the couples, the husband and wife, they're both on staff with us now, pushing Selena along. And we'd been together for maybe a year or two, and we were doing kind of prayer requests at the end. And, uh, and the 
curriculum said that what we needed to do is share with the group uh, prayer requests about some of the things that we struggle with. Right? Now, I worked at church, so I knew at this point this is where you fake it. Just like all of you did this morning, right? Those of you that fought, husbands and wives, those of you that fought in the car on the way here, and you're screaming and yelling at each other, I can't believe you, and you never get ready on time, and you know, and then you open the door and walk to the, to the door, and the greeter says, how are y'all doing? You go, oh, we're so blessed, so blessed to be here, right? So I know, I grew up in, I mean, I've, I've been working at one for a long time, but in this group, when we, when we went around the circle, hey, I'm about to share something that we can pray for you about, something that you struggle with, I think I went first. And I shared one of those things where, where you're trying to share like a struggle, but you really share it like as a victory. You know, like when you're interviewing and people say, hey, what's one of your weaknesses? You're like, oh, I work too long and too hard, that kind of thing. So that's kind of what I did. Hey, here's what I need you to pray about. I'm such a perfectionist. You know, just pray about that. I mean, everything I touch is perfect. And I just need you all to pray about it. And, um, and I'm afraid that I could be so perfect. That, you know, I can grow arrogant about that because I can just look at my own life and think, wow, how awesome and awesome. You can just pray about my awesomeness for just a little while, please. I mean, you can just pray about that. That'd be great. And so we start going around the circle. Everybody's lying, just like I just led the way. And then we get the quiz long of one of the guys on the, on the team there, and, and, and he's in the group, and he goes, I struggle. Um, I just struggle with lust. Which all of us went, what? He's in a men's group, bro. Like, you know. At the men's group, you just assume that. Okay, we got lust. Anything else other than lust? No? Okay. Let's pray for lust. Okay. So, and we're like, did your wife right there? And so he's just honest. He was like, I think I need to go again. Can we do another lap? Because I got lust and, and lying. Those are my two struggles now that I need to lay on the table here. So you know what began to happen in our group? Life together. Life together. We actually begin to pray for real needs. People real needs. was committed to third thing they were devoted to. They devoted themselves to the consultation, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread. The breaking of the bread. Every time they got together, they ate together. Amen. Isn't that good news? They got together and they ate together. They were committed. They were devoted to God's provision. And this is important. You kind of got to step back from the text and look at it all. But they were committed to God's provision. We just read in verse 45 a second ago. Some people sold everything they had, and they gave it to the church to be distributed among people to meet anyone's needs. Because everybody didn't sell everything they had, because they met in each other's homes. And it says here that when they got together to break bread together, they did it with a glad and right heart. So they did not have this poverty theology where they said, all things are bad, and you must sell everything that you have. But nor did they have a prosperity theology where they said, no, 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 things are God. But they had a gospel-centered theology. And this group of people thought, maybe God didn't give me extra for me. But maybe God gave me some extra stuff, and God gave me this newfound family of faith, and maybe God gave me some of that extra so that I could meet the needs of some of my brothers and sisters. You see how it wasn't? It wasn't poverty. They didn't call those things bad. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't prosperity gospel that they worshipped the things that they had just surrendered it all to the Lord. They said, Lord, we're going to enjoy your blessings, your financial blessings, your material blessings. We're going to enjoy them. And they got together and they ate well and they celebrated together and they enjoyed it. And they did it in people's homes. And they said, thank you, God, for the gift of this home. And now we offer it back to you. And some of them on the market, they took the proceeds to help some people. And some people, by offering up to God, they said, God, we'll do Bible study and break bread together in this home. And they just had a gospel-centered view of, uh, of the things that God had blessed them with. But it also means when they saw their brothers and sisters in need, they didn't just pray about it, they did something about it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, If anyone has the, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how can God's love abide within him? So for the John, the Apostle John will say that it's not even possible. You say you love Jesus, and you see your brother in need, and don't do something about it, then you're not doing what Jesus did. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so if you see your brother in need, and you have the resources, then you give. And can you imagine being a part of that community? When you first joined the community, and then somebody in that church needed a car, 
And you thought, well, I got two cars, but I didn't get about my car. That's crazy, all right? But somebody else in the group gave up their car, and you was like, wow, you had two cars, and there's a husband and a wife, and now you gave up one of the cars? Wow. And then the, the family that gave up the one car, the one car they had left, it broke down, and then somebody else in the community met their needs and gave them a car. You began to look at yourself like, hey, wait a minute, I think that the trust level in this family of faith is so high that if I were to give everything I had to the needs of the people in this family, I'm pretty sure that God would bless my generosity by being generous to me through the people that he has surrounded me with. But that's what the tithes and offerings are about, okay? That's what the tithes and offerings are about. On, on Thursday night at 722, there was a lady named Terry sitting right over in this section, uh, over in our student section, and she let me know earlier that week just to pray for her because she had lost her job. She had lost her job. She's an RN. She's a single mom, couple of kids, and she's just begging for prayer what do I do? And so I just shared it with our church family on Thursday night. I said, here she is. She's right over here on the third row. She's an RN. So I need, by the end of the service, I need somebody to hire her. Uh, if you're in the hospital or if you're a doctor or if you know somebody, that's just what it says that we're supposed to do. And so at the end of the service, you know how I have a line afterwards, right? You know, the people come up and pray for people and talking to people and meeting people. And I looked over here, and Terry's line was longer than my line. How cool is that? That was the coolest thing I've seen at church. In a long, long time. So they were committed, they were devoted to God's provision. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. They were a praying people. They were devoted to God's presence. They knew that, that um, attendance at a service was not enough, that they had to experience the manifest presence of God. That just being a part of an organization was not enough, but they were devoted to the very presence of God. And that's, that's different than just saying prayers, all right? That's different than just showing up and repeating out of rote memorization prayers that you have memorized. That's saying your prayers. That's different than being devoted to prayer. I mean, it's, it's like when I was growing up, my mom was teaching me to pray. We would kneel down by my bed at night before we went to bed, and we would pray one of the worst prayers I've ever heard in my entire life. Now I lay me down to sleep. Y'all know that one? I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, Lord, this is going to be a tough night, okay? I mean, I don't know if I'm going to make it out. <laughs> no wonder we all have issues. I'm 39 years old, right? So no wonder all of us have so many issues. Because, you know, you, you, and then we do the one about the cradle and the tree falling down and you die there too. It was a dangerous time to be a child when I was growing up. And so we were just saying our prayers. We didn't really pray. We just said our prayers. And it got to the point, you know, where I came to my mom. I was like, well, I don't even talk about a prayer that we said. It's not really bad. Um, what does Fashion mean? Right? Is, is that a Hebrew word? Is that a Greek word? Is that the, is, are we speaking in tongues with an Indian interpreter? I mean, what is that? Mama, what is Fashion She's like, what are you talking about? I said, you know, Fashion before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to pray. Black, what is it from? And, you know, Okay, that's just saying your prayers, right? I did that. When you kind of do the little thing before you eat. But this, this group of people, they were devoted. They were a people of prayer. Church 1122. This is the kind of church that we are. That we're going to be. That we want to walk in step with this kind of church. That we are devoted to God's word and God's people and God's provision and God's presence. So let me ask you this, folks. Um, Who's praying for you? Because you're not going to grow in your walk with Jesus if somebody's not praying for you. And you can't say your mom and grandma. Praise God for the prayers of mamas and grandmamas. Where would we be without them? But they always pray for you. I'm talking about the, the specific prayers for you. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be known. And this group of people got together. And now, you see what they were devoted to. They were devoted the things that glorify God. And now what we're going to see is you're going to see the results. That they didn't go out with this growth strategy plan. They just were trying to glorify God in word and worship. And then God, in that, just decided to flex among them. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking the bread, and prayers. Verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all came upon every soul. And that means every time the church got together, people were filled with awe, like awesome in the truest sense of the word. 
church sometimes. And that, that still should be the expectation of church. I, I don't know how many people are going to see the Blue Angels today, but come on. Are you not filled with awe? We stood in my backyard on Hodges yesterday and watched them go by. And every time, you're just like, oh, I mean, that is filled with awe. And it's something about being removed from it and watching it. Because those of you that travel all the time, you're not filled with awe when you get on the 747. You're just praying as other people are coming in. You're going, please don't sit next to me. Please don't. Oh, thank God. All right, that's what you're doing. Or maybe it's just pastor. Right? That's what I'm doing. And then, and then you take off. And especially if you've got a long flight, what are you filled with? Boredom. Like, God, when are we going to be there? You've got a loose perspective that you and like 50 other people are, are 30,000 feet above the earth traveling at 400 miles an hour. And you can go from here to California in just a few hours, what used to take weeks and weeks and weeks, and you feel with boredom. So a lot of times, it's, it's not that God's not doing some amazing, awesome things in an among us. It's just we're not paying attention. And listen, Christian, you need to pray for that soft heart. That every time the plane flies by, you see it like the blue angel, and not just sitting in your seat waiting for your ginger ale to come by. And so they were filled with awe. And why were they filled with awe? Because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Listen, folks, there are wonders and signs that have been happening around here like crazy. A year and a half ago, Selena Long, the, couple, the girl from the couple that I was talking about, gave birth to her kid, her third and I think final kid, and had complications. And, uh, had some internal bleeding, and it wasn't going well. She didn't get to see her daughter for a few days because she was in the ICU. And so we, had, we went to visit every day, and she's not getting better and not getting better. And so we called my other, my friend's doctor, a dear friend of ours, who delivered, and said, hey, shoot me straight. What's going on? Because she doesn't look good. And I, this is my 20th year in ministry, so I've been in a lot of hospital rooms, okay? And, and you sometimes people just have this look, and you go, that doesn't look positive here. And so... This doctor, my friend, says, uh, Pastor Joby, you need to get ready for a funeral. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, this one of our, belongs to some of our dearest friends. And so we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and our staff prayed, and we went and prayed, and we prayed with Cliff, her husband, and we just prayed. And then the doctors had to make this decision, right? That bleeding is a problem. So if we open her back up to go in and try to find out where this is, that obviously creates more bleeding. And so they got to the point where they said, that, that's our only choice. So they opened her up to go back in, and the bleeding had stopped. The bleeding had totally, completely stopped. Other doctor friends of mine that work at that hospital that go to 1122 said that all the doctors among uh, on that floor were gathering people up and said, we witnessed another miracle today. There's this girl in here, and she should be dead, and she's not dead. Many signs and wonders are happening even around here. Two weeks ago, there's a guy um, who had been to church here, I think, twice. And he got stung by a bee on his lip and had this, had this really allergic reaction, and it almost killed him. Um, the ambulance had to come, paramedics came, got him, got him to the hospital, and he's on life support, right? So it happened on the Friday. There's some people here at work on the Friday, and they say, well, we need to go pray for this guy. And let me just tell you, it wasn't like the, the A-team. It's not pastors and elders went to pray for him. It's the, it's the, um, the interns and the guy that runs the facility, right? If you just look on the org chart, they're kind of down here. So they all go. And, and then when they get there to pray for this guy, there's another team from Celebration Church. Celebration is like our tag team partners in the ministry, okay? We just, they help us so much. We love those guys. And so there's a group from Sub 30, and they all gather up with this crew from 1122, and they start praying over this guy named Mark, and they're praying for a miracle. Well, he comes out of this induced coma, they take the ventilator out, and then the first words out of his mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's the first thing that the dude said. And at 7.22, there was a guy who sitting in the back right over here, um, and his name's Trey, and for years, after every 22 services, his mom and dad would come to me and say, can we please pray for our son? All right, he's strung out on drugs, we're just afraid he's going to die. We've raised him in the church, we've raised him in the gospel, and he is a prodigal, he is running from God. And for years, we prayed for Trey. Well, Trey started coming back to 1122, got his faith in Jesus Christ, turned his life around, and is now a full-time missionary and just got back from Nicaragua and is trying to figure out where he's going next, okay? Miracles happen all the time. And, again, and that doesn't even count the 49 people in the last seven days that have surrendered 
given their lives to the Lordship of Christ in the last seven days, just right here at the Church of 1122. The average church has one salvation a year. There's been 49 people in the last seven days surrendered their life to Christ. Do you understand? I don't think you do, because you're just sitting in the jet liner going, See the communion, we might be long. Alright, so you won't get it. But you will, that's why we're here, okay? We've got a lot of work to do. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. And all who believed were together. One of the results of being devoted to what God would have us be devoted to is unity. Unity. And all were together, all colors and all classes and all different people were together. You see, the idea, I'll put it as a point, is that in the first century, that, that belonging was a key ingredient in a believer. That this idea that you believed in Jesus automatically meant that you belonged to his family. And there was no such thing as a, as a long-ranger Christian. That everybody was together. That they were known and held accountable. And their needs were being met as they were meeting each other's needs. This idea of, like, you just show up to church once in a while, but you're not plugged into the family, that was a foreign idea when the first church started. It would be sort of like, there's a guy that, that goes to 1122, uh, named Larry Sheely, and he's a, um, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he has a school over on Atlantic Boulevard, and I train up there sometimes, all right? And it would, it's, it's like the guy that you talk to, because, you know, with MMA, so popular, and UFC, so popular, everybody's a black belt and everything. And if you ask a guy, you know, say, hey, I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, oh, really, where do you train? Oh, I train at home. I train alone. Well, then you're not a black belt, okay? Because beating up your mom's couch pillows doesn't count. I'm sure you, you know you choke out the Afghan every time, and you're awesome. But if you got nobody kind of flexing back on you, then once you encounter an actual person fighting back, it's not going to go well for you. But there's just no such thing as that type of person that trains alone. In, in, in a similar way, that's what it's like being a Christian. That if, if you believe that you're supposed to belong, that we are all together in one place, doing this as a family. And the reason I say 11:22 is a big dysfunctional family is because if you think you've got to get your stuff right and get in the family, you just don't know about our family very well. That we are, look, all of us who believe, with all of our junk and all of our baggage, that we just come together to be devoted to the things that the first church was devoted to. And all who believe were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Did you notice they only had two events at the early church? They, they went to the temple together, so they would get, get together in big crowds to glorify God and worship and word, and then they would gather in people's homes, and they would read the Bible together and do communion together. Sound familiar? They didn't have a lot of extra ministry opportunities, right? They didn't have a cloaking ministry, and they didn't have a rock climbing ministry, and they didn't have all those things. Now, if people wanted to do those things, I'm sure they did, but they weren't necessarily ministries of the church. What the church did was get together in large groups and worship God all together, all on the same page, and then gather in smaller groups just to basically do Bible study and to get to know one another. Does it sound like a familiar model? That's what we're going to do at the Church of 1122. On the weekends, Thursday and Sunday, we're going to gather together in this place. We're going to glorify God and worship and word. And then all throughout the week, in homes all over Jacksonville, and actually one in Colorado. We have a disciple group in Colorado. If you want to go to that one, God bless you. All right. Um, we're going to get together, and we're going to study the Bible in a context where you can get to know each other so you can meet one another's needs and have your needs met. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. If you only knew how well that described what's been going on in this place. We have been dedicated from the beginning to glorify God and worship and word. Whether it was popular or not, we didn't really care. In fact, you know who the target audience of the church of 1122 is? God. That's why if you are singing, or if you're in the singing bar, you're like, I really like this song. That's fine, because we're singing to you, okay? We're trying to help you sing to the Lord. That's what we do. And if you're like, well, I didn't really like that message, but that's okay. I didn't even write it, okay? I'm just, I'm just reading it right out of here. And what we're trying to do is gather a bunch of people together. And our target audience is praising 
glorifying God. We just want to do it in a way that if you're new to the whole thing, it's understandable so that you can get on board. And so they got together and they worshiped. And it says, in having favor with all people. You have no idea. You have no idea. And you couldn't know. But you have no idea what a miracle it is that we're even gathering as the church in this place today. You have no idea. The first time Lars Peterson, the chairman of the Board of Elders, and I pulled into this parking lot, I won't even tell you what he called this spot in the in the little mall here, all right? Um, it wasn't a good name. And, and he goes, well, that space is open. And then we started calling. Hey, we want to put a church there. And they said, no. And then he called some more people. No, no, no. Probably about seven no's. Everybody said no. And then we found out there's actually, there's actually citywide zoning against having a church this close to a bar. So it's like, oh, you don't know my church. You know what I mean? And so, and then, then we began to just experience the favor of God. That those zoning laws didn't apply because this was a Walmart. And apparently laws didn't apply to Walmart, right? They do whatever they want. And praise God for St. Walton and whatever he did. Okay, so we got through that. And then all the no, 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 no. And then I met a guy named Tony Slayman. And I met Mr. Slayman standing right out there on that corner. And I looked at him. I, I never met him before. didn't know who he was. Heard a lot about him. But first time I met him, I said, Mr. Slayman, the Lord's going to use this. It's going to change you, your family, and, and you don't even know what you're about to step into. And he said, let's do this, okay? And then he said, yes. And God has given us favor with the city and with um, our construction team and uh, with Slayman and all the realtors and all of those things. And then we did a year-long project in five months. And if I remember, my dad came and looked at this the Friday before we had church on that Sunday. He said, son, y'all got a lot of work to do. And he was right. And we worked and worked and worked. And you have no idea the favor that God has had upon us. In fact, um, when we start, first start pitch the idea of the On This Rock campaign, you know, when we were all one church at Beach United Methodist Church, you know what kind of favor we had to have with the Methodists? All right, think about their name, the Methodists, right? They have a method for everything. And let me assure you, planning a church, a non-denominational church in Walmart was not John Wesley's method for anything. And so we went and said, hey, we think, and, and God's favor was upon us through Beach United Methodist Church, particularly Jerry Sweat and the United Methodist denomination. And so we said, all right, we're going to raise like six million bucks. What do you think? And so people said, you know, never work. And guess who they said would never give the money? You. You. The 1122 crowd. And you blew it away. The reason we can move into this place is because of God's favor upon us through you. God's favor has been all over this thing. And then the last sentence. And the Lord, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who did that? The Lord added to their number. Not me. Not me. In fact, if you were to look at the org chart of the Church of 1122, you have interns will be right out here. And guess who's at the top? Me? Nope. Nope. In fact, it's why I'm the lead pastor of this church. I'm not the senior pastor of this church. You know what senior pastor can also be translated? Chief shepherd. And you know who our chief shepherd is? Jesus Christ. So the, the functional senior pastor of the Church of 1122 is Jesus Christ. If you look at our work chart, there it is. There's Jesus, and I work directly for him. Okay, that's how that works. And Jesus commanded me to do all kinds of stuff. The two primary was love my wife and make disciples. And if you will remember, when the whole idea of church started, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus said he would build the church, and my job was to make disciples. So you know what we've been experiencing here lately is that day by day, the Lord is adding those who are being saved. Not me, not the presentation, not the lights, not the videos, none of that stuff. But that the Lord is adding. Last year, about 400 people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ through 1122. Right? That's more than day by day people being added to the number. And it's still happening today. On Tuesday morning, Tuesday is kind of a big, big day for me. Tuesday morning, I get here early, get here about 6.30. And uh, going to my office, and that's the day where I take what um, the work that the Lord and I did in the tree stand on Monday. If you don't know what that means, that's somebody's been here, okay? I take the work that the, tree, that the Lord and I have done in the tree stand on Monday and begin to sort of translate it into a sermon that's coming on the weekend. And so I'm working through this, this passage, and I'm working through, you know, they were devoted to this, and this were the results, you know, there were miracles. There was unity, and the Lord was adding to their number. And then an email pops up 
something I just have to share with you. A week ago at 722, this girl goes home from 722, sits down at her kitchen, and fires off this email to us here. She says, it's 9.30 on Thursday night, and I'm sitting at my kitchen table just in awe of God. This was too good to keep to myself. So even though I don't really know any of you all well, I just felt like maybe I should share. My husband and I moved to Jacks two years ago and started a program at UNF with 27 other students, people who I've spent every day for two years with. And in this group, it was clear that I was the only person with a relationship with Jesus. And some of my friends let me know that they thought I was outside my mind for being smart enough to get into a doctorate program and stupid enough to be in love with this guy named Jesus. I wish I could say that every day in this program, I'd live with overflowing joy. And many days I did, and many days I cried and felt like I had no earthly idea why I was here and where God was. Our program came to a standstill this spring when one of my classmates, Stephanie, drove down a dead end road consuming bottles of medications in an attempt to end her life. When I found out about her attempt, the news I was initially given was that the prognosis was not good. They did not find her in time, and the damage to her organs was too great. And this is where the Church of 1122 comes in. Stephanie did live. She got out of the hospital on a Saturday. The next day, with an arm full of bruises, hair still in a hot mess from a week in the ICU, and a spirit of defeat and wondering why she was alive, Stephanie came with me to church. And since that day in April, Stephanie has not missed one week of church. And after giving her life to Christ, she was baptized at this last beach baptism. And I look at Stephanie now as not just a friend, but a sister, someone that I can learn so much from. But that's not where the story ends. What I wanted to share with you is that tonight, that at this point, six of the 27 people in my class, along with some of their friends and family, they've come to 1122. And at tonight's service, a second friend in my class gave her life to Christ. And every week at church, I look down the aisle at the people that I'm sitting with, and I see the very ones who I thought might be the last people who wanted to come to church with me. It is insane to me that God would give me a front row seat at getting to watch him radically change lives. Because isn't that what the story is really about? It's not about me or Stephanie or my classmates, but it's about a God who is very real and very much working in people's lives. So I'm praying that God will completely encourage you and strengthen you tonight that in the midst of a very real spiritual warfare that's going on, it's so incredibly good to be the child of the conqueror. Thank you for being in church where ministering of life happens every single week. Folks, when I sat in my desk on Tuesday morning or 7 o'clock, 7.30 reading this, okay, I was filled with awe. Just going to be honest. Man, when I read this thing, I cried like girl that just watched the notebook, you understand? I mean, I was just like, oh, oh my gosh. And I, I decided once again, and I've done this a bunch of times, but I just decided once again, Lord, I will give the rest of my days to being a part of a church where people like Stephanie and people from that doctor program and Jen who wrote this to bring her friends and that we get to get a front row seat to watching the almighty God just flex among us. And to him and him alone be the glory. Church of the Lord is And so, so I decided, well, you know what? If, if he wants to add more people to his number, then maybe he wants to do it again today. And even though I haven't necessarily explained what the substitutionary atonement of Jesus on the cross is, I believe that there are some of you in this room right now and maybe you're ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, not because of a presentation, but the Holy Spirit working in your life. I would like for you to have the opportunity to do that. So would you please bow your head with me? Um, if that's you, if this morning, for the very first time, you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, if you admit that you're a sinner, you believe on or trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're sick and tired of trying to be the Lord of your life and you're ready, to turn over the throne of your life to Jesus and claim Him as Lord and Savior. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Would you say, Jesus, here I am. I surrender my life to you. And any one of you that would call on the name of the Lord Jesus in this moment would be saved. Not by anything that you do, not by raising your hand, but what, by what's been done through the cross. Dear Jesus, I pray for anybody with their hand up in this place. Got anybody surrendering 
their life to you. God, I thank you that you're the same and not me. So, Lord, I just pray that the folks with their hands up would just pray a very simple prayer. God, they admit that they are sinful and far from you. God, they believe or trust or commit their whole life into you. And God, they confess you as Lord. And God, we as a church, we join with the angels in celebrating that even this day you would add some to the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we, just because in Acts 2 it says that they were committed to the breaking of the bread, and what that means is that they were committed to doing the Lord's Supper together. And I know we've got people from all kinds of different traditions, and so um, if the ushers want to go ahead and move, um, we're going to hand out to you this little single-serving communions, okay? And before you get all like self-righteous and hoity-toity, I know it's not super... Uh, you know, spiritual, but we wanted to do it in a way that we could all do it together. And that's, that's what we want to do. And, and over the next season, we're going to experience communion in all different kinds of traditions, okay? So just hang in there. But if you would take this and just uh, and just hold on to it for a second, and then we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion all together. And so one of the cool things about, about communion and the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper, whatever you, you call it, is it's a couple of things. One, it's called communion, which means common union. That the, the common union that all believers in Jesus Jesus have, that all Christians have, regardless of tradition or style of church or whatever, is that we all claim Jesus as Lord. And on that night when Jesus was betrayed and he gathered together with his disciples, and he was a rabbi, so they had done this every year that they had been alive. They were celebrating the Passover meal, and he took he took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Now, y'all hold on just a second, okay? We're going to all do it together in just a second. That's what Jesus did. And the next day, he was going to go to the cross. And he said, as often as you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me, so that, that whenever the church would celebrate the Lord's Supper, that it would be a tangible reminder of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then, and then he took the cup. And he held it up. And, and quite honestly, he didn't say the right words. Um, there was a there was a, a Jewish rabbinical liturgy that he was supposed to quote that they had done for literally thousands of years, and then he kind of made up his own words. And he says, he says, "This is my blood. This is my blood. It represents a new covenant. Um, covenant could be law, right, or testament. And, and essentially, what he was saying is there was an old covenant, or an old testament, or an old law." And that was, if you obey all the commandments, then you were in right standing with God. Well, it turns out none of us could obey all the commandments. And it's why Jesus had to come as the atoning sacrificial lamb for our sin. And what he was explaining to the disciples is, tomorrow I'm going to the cross. And that as I shed out my blood for you, it's for the forgiveness of sin. So whenever you drink of this, and you do so in remembrance of me, you remember it's not by trying to be good enough that you're saved, but it's by my grace demonstrated at the cross. And then he said, as often as you drink, let it do so. And then the church gets a hold of communion and messes it all up, like we mess up everything. And so Paul is talking to his church in Corinth, and at that church, people would show up, they would do communion every single week, and when they would show up, whoever got there first would eat all the bread and drink all the wine. It was the loaded stuff, so they were they would get drunk at church. And Paul comes along in Corinthians, like, come on, guys, this is important. And essentially, he says, whenever you take communion or whenever you go to the Lord's table, this is a big deal. And first and foremost, you need to examine your heart, examine your heart, confess your sin, come clean before the Lord. And you're not even confessing that you sin because He already knows you. But really, you're confessing. You're a Christian, and what Christ did on the cross has cleansed you of that sin. And you are confessing that right relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul commends us to examine our hearts before we come before the Lord. So if you would bow your head, and just for about a minute, why don't you just examine your heart before the Lord? That you would confess your sin, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord over that sin. And that you would thank Him for the forgiveness that's happened. Jesus, Lord, I, I thank you so much that we come to your table as children of the conqueror, not trying to get something from you by taking communion. 
And God, this is a celebration of the fact that it is finished. God, we thank you that we are saved by grace through faith. Not by being good, but by being loved. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I was in uh, Brazil last year, this past year, and we were at Brazil Community United Church. Maybe you've heard me tell this once before. And, and we had these kind of things. And the Brazilian guy came up to trade cups with me, which can be a little scary, right? I don't know what's going on there. And then later, the, uh, the pastor of the church comes up and says, oftentimes, communion or the Lord's Supper is called a sacrament. Sacrament, sacrament just means a, a conduit of God's grace or God's blessing. And he said, you know, it is a sacrament, but, but it's really just juice and a little cracker. The true sacrament, the really only sacrament walking around on this earth is me and you. It's us. That, that the Spirit lives in you, and it's people like me and you that God speaks through and uses to share His grace and His goodness and His kindness with this world. So, um, in light of the fact that you and I are the sacrament of God, would you take your elements and would you pass them to somebody else as a symbol of how you would live this week? And then, if you would open up the top floor of you, this is the body of Christ broken for you, not because you deserve it, but because God is love. And as often as you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me. Jesus held up the cup, and he said, this is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sin. There's a new covenant, a covenant of grace. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And as often as you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. Amen. Now, would you stand? Now, as a body at the table of Christ, we have responded to the gospel. Many of you have responded by surrendering your life to Christ. Amen. And now, some of you need to continue to respond. You can respond by coming to the altars. You can respond by taking your tithes and offerings to the offering boxes, and we all respond by joining together in one voice to sing of the glory of God. Let us respond. of life, rose of 